0: So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial aspect.
1: change the way, that they're way they're practicing.
0: They leader They said they've done it really. To help young lawyers. Starting a small firm. What it means to be Make fulfilled. it
1: easy to work with your clients.
0: New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap.
1: Adriana Linares. I'm the host of the new Solo Podcast, and we've got another great episode ahead of us today. I have a great guest on, Carolyn Elephant, whom I've known for many, many, many years. Carolyn, let's not even talk about how long we've known each other. But um, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Sure. Hi, Adriana. Thanks for having me
2: on the show after after all this time. So my name is Carolyn Elephant. I'm an attorney here in the D.C. area. And I, by day, I have a national law practice that focuses on renewable energy and fighting climate change and pipelines. And then on the side, I write the blog MyShingle.com, which is the longest running blog on solo and small firm practice. It's, it's turning 20 in December. And
1: I'm also the author of the book Solo by Choice. You have been a fierce advocate of being a solo, helping attorneys be successful solos for, I mean, I just feel like that's what you have always done, aside from the fact that you're, you know, running a busy practice as well. Tell me, why have you found that that's a calling that you have and the ways that you have put that out there? I know the answers, but our listeners might not. So tell us a little bit about why you love being a solo and also helping attorneys be successful solos and how you get that done.
2: So I think in terms of the, the the mission statement, the reason that I started my blog, my Shingle, was really because I just felt there was a void. I felt that at that time the focus was really largely on big firms, and there really wasn't a lot of um, information about what solo and small firms were doing, and there really weren't even that many courses on. You know, providing information on how to start a firm. So that was the original impetus. But the reason that I advocate for solos and Smalls has changed over time. When I became a parent, I realized that running my own practice would give me more flexibility and allow me to spend time with my kids and also continue to grow a business. And so that was the reason there. But most recently, I feel like as time has passed and I've seen kind of the the fruits of, of my labors, the people who have started firms. And I look at the firms that they've started and they're all so different and they have different missions. And some of them, you know, fight for um, for underserved communities. And some of these firms have created spaces that are very family friendly. And some of them have really given back to their communities. And I really see that this whole power, this ownership, being able to own your firm and your career can be something that can change your life in the law and also change the legal profession itself. I mean, we see so much innovation that comes out of solo and small firms and so much diversity. I mean, when you look at the number of law firm owners who are women or lawyers of color, the large majority are ones who own their own law firms. And so that's always been an issue for the legal profession is diversity. And so now I see ownership as a way to transform the whole
1: profession and also the course of your career. I love it. You are such a good human. And for all those reasons, and then some, when you say, you know, all these firms that I've watched launch and grow, can you, and I I don't know if you can come up with this real quick, but for my listeners, can you think of two or three things that you see as common denominators to success, including your own? in launching and having a small firm? And then maybe a couple of pitfalls or, oh, if I'd only known this, it would have been a little bit easier. Are there any common denominators that you see in your years of of helping other attorneys?
2: So I think with the common denominators, one of the things is, is that whether you start your firm by choice or involuntarily, which some people start their firm as, you have to be all in. Even if it wasn't your first choice, mm. you've at least got to give it your best shot. I find that the people who Never wanted to go solo and aren't and and always feel that it's a second choice are less likely to succeed than ones who say, well, maybe this wasn't my first choice, but let me see where this can lead me. So that ability to be open-minded and to embrace what solo practice can can bring you. Um, the second thing is focus. I mean, people who are very focused on networking, on promoting their firm, on talking about it all the time to the point where you kind of wonder, you know, i you you almost as a listener think that you're sick of hearing it, but then you think <laughs> of all the different people who have never heard that message. I mean, that kind of consistency is just you know, one of the most important aspects of of success. And i guess with the people who tend not to succeed, i mean, i guess there's two different criteria. I think first when you start out with too much planning, when you suffer from analysis paralysis, mm. when you spend months and months trying to pick the perfect practice management tool, the perfect website. Domain the perfe- name. Yes, right. domain name and the logo. I mean, you could be like two years in and you still haven't gotten your start and you've spent a lot of money and mm. you realize that, you know, when you start, it's still going to take time to get clients and to for them to pay you. And so you've, you've kind of gotten rid of that nest egg. So that can make a start very something that's very shaky is just just spending too much time focusing on things other than what you really need to be doing which is just finding clients who are going to pay you that's what the, the one thing you should be thinking about as soon as you get out of the gate clients and money <laughs>
1: You know, you said they'll hear these things and it's good for them to hear it consistently, or this might be the first time they are hearing this. I want to touch on one thing that in my world has been the common denominator for specifically getting clients that pay you. You tell me if this is true and then any advice that you might want to share on this. I feel like every successful solo or small firm attorney that we've had on the show has said one thing over and over and over again networking and word of mouth is how I get my clients. And I feel like a lot of times when I have uh, young, younger attorneys calling me looking for consulting and help, they almost don't believe it. I mean, they hear it over and over again, but they don't believe it. So they're going to try all these other things. I'm going to have this amazing website. I'm going to spend money on click to pay I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to use TikTok. What do you think about Networking and word of mouth as being a major resource, um, if not your best, for developing clients. So
2: you know, I did an in, I did a couple of informal surveys in Facebook groups where you would think that because people are on Facebook that they might say social media or SEO or something like that. Time and again, it's personal networking, and it shocks it shocks me because as you know, I'm not averse to social media to the web. I've been using it for years and years. And it's definitely an important tool and it's definitely something you can't ignore in your practice. And I think when your practice gets bigger, if you have a lot of money to invest in it, you know, the, the web and SEO can be very helpful, but, but the, the personal networking and getting to know people is just, it just works all the time and it's not expensive and it's easy to do and i see and it's it works for people who are who are younger and who are older sometimes when you're younger you know it takes it takes time to it can take time to build the network but at the same time if you're out there and you meet the right people and there's an opportunity you'll be the first person to to hear about it so and, and and then you know that the cases, of course, that are coming to you are coming with somebody's recommendation already. And so you really don't have to make the sell. But there are um, a number of law firms I can think of who... Get business almost entirely from just a personal referral network, and especially, um, I mean, one one group that comes to mind almost immediately are firms that um, serve parents, either uh, family law firms or estate planning firms. Mm-hmm. The the mom network and the mom recommendation network it's is powerful, like, it, absolutely, and you can build a firm just off of that without even having an internet presence. I it's, it's it I I know it it sounds crazy, but you know, and, and when I say that, it doesn't mean that you should ignore everything else. But I do agree with that. And um, like I said, the questions, the, the informal surveys I've done tend
1: to confirm that, too. Awesome. I love when I get things right. And yeah. my, my guests agree with me without being prepped. <laughs> but I just feel like that's a constant that I hear all the time. Real quick, let's just expand on that a little bit, which is like the mom network. I I feel you're so right. The mom network, the dad network, the bowling league network, that whatever it is. And I also feel that, thank God today, we can sort of talk about not being in a pandemic and trying to develop work. So let's talk about what what we knew before and what we can look forward to in the future. When younger attorneys or an attorney who's gone out on his own. So, you know, we call this show New Solo and I like that. Because oftentimes I have a big firm refugee or someone who's retiring from a big firm and they just want to be, you know, how do you get started? So new solo does not always equal young attorney. So what advice do you have for people about that specifically where networking doesn't always mean go to every bar event that your local bar association puts on? That's a good one. But what other creative ways do you have of, of um, giving that advice?
2: So so one of the things that I like is to take the initiative and create a networking event that you yourself would enjoy. So um, or that you yourself can afford. I know that when I was sort of early into my career, I would I couldn't really afford to take that some lawyers especially in my industry would go to these expense account lunches and I just couldn't afford to do that every every week. So I would have um, these breakfasts or lunches in my office where I just order sandwiches. It was like I could feed 10 people for the price of one expense account lunch and just bring people together to talk about their business and to exchange ideas. And I would always get at least like two or three referrals after that just by being in somebody's face. So just like getting people together to go to a ball game or check out the farmer's market on the weekend or, you know, whatever is compatible with what you enjoy, either what you personally enjoy doing or, you know, something related to to your practice. I mean, honestly, even organizing like some sort of pro bono event, like an event where you um, gather food and furniture for the Ukrainian refugees or Afghan refugees, people people want to be able to participate in that Mm -hmm. and it's a great way to get to know other people and do something good at the same time and everybody leaves and they feel good and you know and then you you stick in their mind so and and the internet yeah and one thing with the internet and these social media groups is it makes it so easy to organize those things you don't have to like give out paper flyers or whatever whatever you did back in the (laughs) back in the olden days
1: (laughs) so speaking of the olden days let's just talk a little bit about social media in modern times. In the olden days, of course, networking meant things like going to bar events, you know, hobnobbing at church, hobnobbing at your clubs, at your kids' soccer games. Then, you know, along comes social media. When you and I were talking before the show got started, you said, I, I think I asked you, how are you doing on social media? What are you doing? And you said, you know, back to our point, I've been getting clients through word of mouth and referrals forever. So maybe you hadn't kept up too much with how to use modern social media. And you said, yeah, I'm taking some courses. I love hearing that someone as tech savvy, as experienced, and as successful as you still wants to continue learning how best to use technologies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe spread some inspiration to never stop learning?
2: Yeah. So it's just, you know, when you, when you, read the papers, you read about like these TikTok influencers, people who are influencers on Instagram and different websites. And it just, it sounds really intriguing. And, you know, still a lot of the people in the, in the industries that I serve aren't um, engaged in that, but it just, it just sounds fascinating to see, you know, how they're communicating their message. So, um, so, I'm taking a course. I guess there are some younger attorneys who really have used Instagram very effectively to build large followings and and one of the questions I always have is, you know, I mean, following doesn't necessarily equal clients. Um, mm. One class I'm taking is dealing with mm-hmm. um how how to convert a following into into clients. But I feel like it's important to understand what cl- you know what clients are looking at what kind of impression they're getting from attorneys by looking at these sites and also just figuring out if there's a way to take that information and and use it in my practice because i mean at some point both My practice and also my blog, my shingle. I mean, I'm not going to be doing them forever. I'd like to see them survive in some other format. And so, I feel like by learning about these new formats of communicating with people and interacting with people, it gives at least my blog an opportunity to transition to a new generation of of readers and and users and to you know to find other clients in that area. So because everything cha- everything changes really fast. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's hard to stay on top of things. And and what's also really interesting is just to see how people are taking there's so many innovative ways that people are using these new mediums and that's just fascinating to me. That just gets the mind rolling and I think it helps
1: to it just keeps things more interesting. I totally agree. And we're going to take a quick break, listen to some messages from some sponsors. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about content and how you use it, plan to use it, because your blog must have tons of evergreen content. Your head has tons of evergreen content. And we're going to talk about the third edition of Solo by Choice. We'll be right back.
0: Here's a fact about law firms with growing revenue. They're 46% more likely to use client intake and client relationship management or CRM solutions. I'm Joshua Lennon, Lawyer-in-Residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Client intake and CRM tools keep track of potential clients and help you make a great first impression. For instance, online forms can help you easily collect basic information related to a client's matter, rather than fielding calls and taking notes on a piece of paper. For more information on what law firms with growing revenue are doing differently than the rest, download Clio's Legal Trends Report For free at Clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C L I O dot com forward slash trends.
1: Okay, we're back. I'm Adriana Linares, of course, your host with New Solo, and I've got Carolyn Elephant with me today. She has been, well, Carolyn, like I say, I never like to talk about how long we've been around, but we've been around for a minute. We must have met 20 years ago at an ABA law practice division or a GP solo meeting we go way back and your book goes way back. So let's talk about your book because we left off talking about content. You are a prolific content creator whether it's your blog, news articles, posts. Do you do you write for a couple of other good publications as well, right?
2: Yeah, I I haven't written for I had been writing most recently for Above the Law mm-hmm. and while I don't write anything for them regularly, they now they it, there's i guess a quasi syndication they usually pick up my articles each
1: each week so that's great and this idea of you know figuring out creative ways to use modern ways of communications probably one of the hardest things that lawyers can come up with is the content. What am I going to put out there? What, you must be able to go back through your posts, your articles, your courses, everything, and you must have so much great content. And I have a feeling a lot of it is encompassed inside of the third edition of your book called Solo by Choice. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of it, and then let's talk a little bit about the book itself.
2: So the first edition of Solo by Choice came out, I think, in 2000 and end of 2008, beginning of 2009. And essentially, it did ha- it did draw on the content from my blog. But there was a lot of new content, too, because at my blog, I don't go into a lot of the sort of nitty-gritty how-to on starting a firm. And there's a lot of inspir- inspirational uh, material, too, whereas the book is it's more of a combination has it a more detailed approach so when i started in 2008 the market was strong, and the book really had to make a very strong case for solo practice because people were getting jobs at law firms. And then right after it came out, the market crashed. Mm-hmm. And so the second edition in 2011 or 12 focused a little bit more on you know social media, which was then at its height, and also you know starting a firm right out of law school because that's what many people were looking at. So this draft, I waited, it took a very long time to, uh, to get to the third edition, <laughs> but I felt like like so much had changed. And as I was writing the, you know, doing the revisions, the pandemic happened. And so um, so that really, it was kind of, the sands were shifting as I was writing it, but I felt that it was important to at least you know, I don't have any definitive answers. Um, I don't think any of us do coming out of the pandemic. But I think it was important to get people to start thinking about it, because I really cringe when people are talking about, oh, I can't wait till we go back to the good old days or the way things were before, because it's not that way. So a lot of the conversation in the book just about something as simple or basic as, you know, where do you open up your firm? Well, is, is it even a default to have an office anymore? You know, right. Companies talking remote first, employees who don't want to work on site. So a lot of the topics in the book that were once presumptive or or at least merited a discussion have now been kind of flipped. But it does talk about some of those issues and also um, just the deregulation of law and like what
1: solos and smalls can look for in the future. You've got five main sections in the book. The you know part one is should I start? Part two is planning a practice. Part three is implement and execute. Part four is running the firm office, and then part five is looking ahead. Why don't we just take one good, strong point from each section? Maybe, you know, what you're asked the most about or your favorite part about that section. So let's pretend I'm a, a, a new solo. And my question is, Carolyn, should I even start? Should I go solo? What do you tell people?
2: So my favorite part of that chapter is actually a new material. And it's it talks about 11 fears that people have about starting a firm, like, isn't it too much of a risk? And the answer is, you know, everything in today's world is really risky now. And look at people who started businesses that depended on in-person communications and then you had COVID and they had to pivot very quickly or is starting a law firm. I don't have a lot of experience. How am I going to know what to do? And the answer is, you know, there's a lot of resources. And when you're doing things for yourself, you know, you, you tend to figure them out. So I think that addressing the, it it addresses, I think there's 11 or 12 fears that is based on the kind of common questions
1: I get that people are concerned about. I think the main fear that I see again, common denominator constantly is where will my clients come from? I have to say my, my regular listeners hear me saying this all the time somehow they come and it really is just about launching and getting out there word of mouth networking and and everything else so that that's a really good answer. Get over those fears. And I always say too, you are not the first attorney to start a solo (laughs) practice, but you said it too. There are so many good resources out there from Carolyn's blog and book and all her content to ABA and the law practice and lawyerist and above the law and lawyer at work. I mean, there's so many good resources. And I think too, once you start digging and diving in, you're going to keep hearing the same things over and over again. I feel like if there's one thing we are good at out here in the law practice world, it's consistency and the messages that everyone seems to share. Okay, real quick on part two, which is planning a practice. You've got many roads lead to solo as a subchapter from law school to solo, choosing your practice area, business model and a mission and mindset. What is the overall arching? theme of this part and tips and suggestions that you can pull big picture out of there. Yeah,
2: so one of the things that it does talk about is the the many paths, because people start firms in different ways. And even though, again, the themes are the same, some of the specifics are different. If you're starting a firm out of law school, you're going to have different concerns. You know, one of your main concerns is going to be, how do I get practical experience or figure out what I need to do as a practical matter. Whereas if you're somebody who's been working at a firm for a long time, you're going to want to be thinking about how do I translate my big firm skills to represent smaller clients? Or how do I present myself in a way that I can still handle um, mid-sized companies or compete with my my former employer? So it talks about that. But then it also talks about, again, some of the big picture issues that you want to think about when you start your firm. Because if you don't have some kind of vision in mind or some kind of Reason that you're starting, other than than making more money, and I guess even making more money can can be a a, a big picture vision. Mm-hmm. It'll capture your focus. So it it just talks about trying to figure out you know what your mission is, which clients you're going to serve, and the point of that is to get people to start thinking. You know, even from the very outset, as you're planning, who your target clients are going to be, and that's going to relate to what your mission and your vision is, and once you have that nailed down um it just makes everything a lot of your decisions later on fall into place because they're informed by those decisions people spend a lot of time nailing down like what their logo is going to look like or what their mm-hmm. office is going to look like those decisions fall into place like if you know that you are going to be serving small technology startup companies, then that's going to inform your your decision about your office. Maybe you don't need an office because they just want virtual assistance. Maybe your focus is going to be on marketing on certain blogs or, or having a podcast that, you know, that you know they're going to listen to. Whereas if your target audience is maybe an elderly or less sophisticated population, a podcast might not be the way to go. So once you know who you're going to target, what your mission is, so many of those other, like, administrivia type Mm -hmm. of decisions, just they fall into place. They're much easier. So I think you have to think about those things up front.
1: This is the, should I make a business plan or not section of, of planning to open a practice. So my question to you is, do you think attorneys should create a formal business plan and have a mission and have a vision written down and like a literal business plan? So
2: I I have mixed views on that. The problem with the business plan for attorneys is that you know what an attorney is going to do. It's going to become a six month project. So (laughs) what I found, what I think is, is kind of the best solution is, to start with one of those business canvas models that you can find online or, a, you know, where you can, it, it'll have you put, there's little boxes for what your mission is, where your clients are going to come from, who your target is. The other idea that I think really works very well is um, putting together a, a pitch deck instead of mm. a business plan, because it gets you thinking strategically about how you're going to sell your practice. And there's like a lot of online, you can find a lot of pitch decks for, you know, for any Kind of company. I mean, not for law firms, yeah, but they ask it. right, and they ask the same questions or discuss the same questions, like what is the market, what is the opportunity, where do we see our business coming from, and so it's a more, it, it's a kind of more low key way to get that same information down on paper. I think you do want to have something on paper, but I don't think you need. I guess if you're going to get tied up in a business plan for six months and not start, right. I would go with the shorter, the shorter model. But you should have something on paper.
1: I like it. Part three, I'm going to sort of save for our last segment of the show because it's probably my favorite. And this is implement and execution where you're talking about essential business requirements, setting up your new office and technology options and some other good stuff in here. So let's just skip that for now because I want to dig in a little bit deeper on your advice on those topics. And we'll save that for the last. last section of our show. This is not the last section of your book. That was three. Part four is actually running the firm office where you talk about the client relationship, retainer agreements, billing and fees, really getting down to law firm operations. What are a couple of nuggets that you can pull out of this section to give us? I think for something,
2: obviously your clients are your most important asset to your firm. And so investing in a client relationship because your clients are also a potential source of of referrals, I think for something like fees, I think it's really important to look at what all the options are and not necessarily to just go with the billable hour because it's what you know mm-hmm. or because it's a default. Right. Um, and and there are contrary to the the anti billable hour people, there are clients who really do still mm-hmm. want the billable hour. So you you want to be able to offer that to accommodate them. But I think there are a lot of different pricing models that are being used. And I think having some diversity in a pricing model can also, um, you know, kind of make it easier for it kind of balances out some of the cash flow issues. You know, if you have maybe subscription fees and regular hourly rates. So I would just I think that people have to be open-minded about how they're 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 going to bill and be thinking about what it is they're selling and what kind of value they're delivering to people and how to price that value.
1: I'm going to add two things to that. And that is, I love your suggestions in having multiple options. And I I feel like a lot of times attorneys lack that creativity and coming up with a a different pricing structure based on different needs or situations. So I love encouraging that. And then the other thing is, I just said last week, I did a webinar with Jared Korea on Above the Law. And we talked about, of course, it always comes up, has the billable hour died? No, it hasn't died because sometimes it still makes sense. But my point was a lot of clients are asking for the billable hour. So if you have that client, you're prepared to give them an answer. And if you have the client that says, you know, I like flat rates, project fee, billing, can we come up with a plan for that? You need to be prepared because you certainly don't want to say, oh, well, I haven't done it that way yet. Hold on, let me think (laughs) about it. You be my guinea pig, right? So I definitely love the idea, whether you're a new solo or an experienced solo and you're working on that to really spend some time coming up with a breadth of pricing structures. The last part of your book is on looking ahead. And how do you see that the practice has changed, especially solo practice and the legal profession as a whole because of the pandemic or thanks to the pandemic, which is the way I actually look at it? Thank you, pandemic. So, I mean, the pandemic
2: has definitely normalized remote meetings. And it's not only normalized remote meetings with clients, but it's also made lawyers and clients both realize that those are just more convenient. And I think that now clients are accustomed to meeting with doctors online, lawyers online, all kinds of providers getting deliveries Mm -hmm. online. So very few people want to go back to how things were done. I think with courts, I mean, sadly, waiting for cases to be scheduled, waiting for your case to be called, used to be a profit center for some law firms. You would basically have to sit in court and wait for a case to be called. And that's been taken away and that's had a financial impact on some law firms. So I think that law firms were that were heavily reliant mm-hmm. on in-person meetings really need to come up with new ways of of billing or capturing value that might have been lost now that something like that, now that something like that has has changed. So I think that those are two main focuses of that And I guess the third is, too, is just sort of the great resignation or the great reconsideration, <laughs> whatever you're calling it. It has become challenging for many firms to find staff to work for them in a traditional way. And I think law firms may have to become more creative about hiring people, whether it's relying more on um, a freelance work, uh, workforce or coming up with benefits that will be sufficient to attract staff long-term when they have so many other options.
1: I like to thank the pandemic for all of those things, but really I'm having very different conversations today than I was just three and a half years ago with attorneys. And they're creative, they're productive, they're affordable, right? You know, like, like you say, freelancing or outsourcing your work is, it's just, if you do the math, sometimes it makes much more sense. And I feel like so many more attorneys are open to those ideas, thanks to the pandemic. So I think we're on the same page on that one. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Carolyn about section three of her book, which was my favorite and um, just general advice about technology and practice management and what she tells her readers, listeners, and followers as well. We'll be right back. Yes. Yes. You have a website but do you love it? Does it grow your practice? It should look good. It should work for you. And it should be built by people who care. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders. And their clients love their websites. PMP's average client has been with them for over six years. PMP is perfect for your website. Practice Made Perfect. Visit PMPmg.com forward slash solo. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps legal malpractice insurance policyholders are solos, after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable, premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. Or just Google Alps First Flight you'll find them. First flight program subject to eligibility requirements. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, law Clerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. All right, we have reached the fourth and final segment of our fourth series in the New Insights segment of New Solo. Jennifer Townsend, what is your last question for Jennifer Thomas?
3: My last question is, how do I get my dad to be open to change when his favorite phrase is... We do it that way because that's the way we've always done it. My dad says the same thing. And he also says we have a system. And I think systems and the way that we've always done it is a source of comfort that helps us know that nothing will fall through the cracks. Nothing will get missed because if there's the system does what the system's supposed to do, nothing gets missed. And there's comfort there and there's security there and you know we're doing a good job and we're we're not gonna let a ball drop. And so being respectful of that comfort level, however it comes, I think is incredibly important because we're all comfort-driven creatures and nobody wants to wake up in the middle of the night worrying if somebody calendared a deposition or you know, provided directions to something. Laws change. Judges, procedures, change, technology changes. Change is inevitable. And if there's anybody that knows that, it's it's probably our parents who have lived through more than we have at this point. And I think change is scary for a lot of people. So again, patience, deference, optimizing their experience and making sure that their comfort is still present even if you change some kind of process or system. A good example of this would be that for 39 years, my dad has had printed directions or typewritten directions probably at the time put in the front pocket of his binder. Wherever he goes, he has a binder. And in the front pocket, there are directions for every stop. And as we've moved into you know, iPhones and iPads and all of these sort of technological innovations, in our calendar invites and in outlook, our assistants, our paralegals are required to put the address into the calendar invites. So we just pull it up on our phone and we know exactly where we're going. It pulls up in our car on our directions or Siri tells it to us but my dad still wants those directions. He wants a hand like a paper copy that he can hold in his hand. Which is really absurd because not only does he have an iPhone, he has a Tesla which drives it him anywhere he wants to go. His car drives itself. But that accommodation is comforting to him and it's it's minimal to us. So we can continue to update the systems while giving him little bits and pieces of the comfort that he likes to hold
1: on to. Another awesome answer, Jennifer Smith Thomas. I think the best advice you've given through all of uh, this series is to have small successes. And I have found that's true with almost any lawyer and trying to modernize them is give them one thing that'll help them one little morsel at a time. And before you know it, they've eaten the whole cake and they're super happy. So thank you so much. I want to thank both Jennifer Smith Thomas and Jennifer Townsend for participating in this series of new insights. You both have been absolutely wonderful. Jennifer Smith Thomas, but before I forget, would you tell everyone how they can find friend or follow you if they want to follow up with any questions or comments about your participation?
3: I am always open to more advice. I can be reached on LinkedIn, Jennifer Townsend in Birmingham, Alabama, or on our website, townsend-lawfirm.com. I just wanted to tell Jennifer Townsend that I appreciate her questions and her inquiry and, and desire to be innovative, especially with an old dog. I know that can be a challenge. And I, I would also say that you're in a very unique place where you get to work with your parent and it's a very special experience. And so allow the moments of frustration to pass or impatience to pass because you will you will definitely miss it. And uh, I'm grateful to work with my dad at Rumberger Kirk and Caldwell. Um, so you can find me at Thomas at rumberger.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all of them except like IMDb or something
1: like that. Okay, I'm here with Carolyn Elephant, and we just did a pretty quick, like the reader's digest of your book, Carolyn, solo by choice, but I wanted to save section three because for me, of course, this is mostly where I live in, which is implementing and executing. So I wanted to ask you, when again, when you're talking to new solos or new attorneys. What are your essential business requirements and what do you tell them about technology? Do they need a practice management program? Do you have to have a CRM? Uh, What about document assembly? Just give me kind of your opinion on, let's start with business requirements. So, I mean, business requirements are just,
2: you know, the malpractice insurance. You've got to be licensed somewhere. Um, yeah. In some jurisdictions, you may have to be registered, you know, have like a business registration. I mean, for, for for attorneys, I mean, because you pass the bar, you kind of don't, you're not subject to a lot of the same business requirements as, as a traditional business. Um, so I think you know, other types, cybersecurity. I mean, mm-hmm. practice insurance now encompasses things like cybersecurity, um, you know, some sort of business insurance. You know, if you have an office, uh, you know, different types of um, insurance are important to look at, especially cyber. A bank account and a trust account. And even if you are, like me, completely opposed to the idea of trust account don't really use a trust account. You really have got to set one up at the beginning, on the off chance that you may use it, because you don't want to have to set it up. You know, when somebody's right. ready to cut you a forty thousand dollars check,
1: you don't want to be scrambling for that. What do you tell people when they are in states that don't require professional liability insurance? Should I have it anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's,
2: it, it, and it's not as it's not as much as you you think. I mean, I actually, when I started my firm, I went without it for two years because I thought it was cost prohibitive, and it was like. It was like $200 a month. I mean, it, it was not, and, and, and you know, I probably could have even gotten it for less if I'd started at the beginning. So, yeah, I, I just, just for the peace of mind and not having to to worry about, you know, somebody will defend you if, if yeah. you have bar grievance.
1: Yeah. I would just say go for it. Good. Me too. I'm on, definitely on team, get professional liability insurance. <laughs> Now, tell us a little bit about your suggestions for launching or improving your practice when it comes to technology. What are the must-haves?
2: So that that is a really, really, really hard question, and I think in some ways you have to work. I think there's a lot of different factors to look at. I mean, the first is just to look at your own personal preferences and your experience with technology. I mean, are you the kind of person who uses like every feature of your phone, because if you do, right. then you'll want to get, it, it'll make sense to invest in a very robust practice management system, because chances are you're probably going to use all of those features right out of the gate. If you're somebody who just uses, you know, kind of what you need, you might be able to get by with a simpler tool and maybe not even something specifically for the legal industry, but maybe something even, you know, that comes out of like small business or something like that. I think for things like, you know, other things are very practice determined. I mean, I, I've been waiting for, I, I mean, we're, we're at a stage now where not only do we have relatively easy document automation available, but it's very cost effective. But in my practice, I, I don't do a lot of repetitive work. I don't have the same form that I fill out over and over again. And so even though I would like to, you know, always be on the cutting edge and embrace new technology, I've really been challenged to figure out a way to use something like that. So I guess – just because people are using a certain technology, you have to ask whether it's something that makes sense for your practice. I mean, if you're doing something that's routine, same forms over and over again, I would say definitely invest in something like Mm -hmm. document automation I guess the other thing I would say is just not to lock into a system at the beginning. A lot of these systems um, offer month-to-month free trials. Take advantage of those things. And also, it's a buyer's market now. So mm-hmm. really reach out to the practice management providers. Get appointments with them. Make them serve you because part of what you decide on is going to have to do with customer service. I mean, things, features, factors like customer service and the longevity of the company, I mean, those are things that are – that are important also. So, but this is this is really a great time to be starting a firm because there's so many co- businesses that are competing for your business, and finally, souls and smalls can have the same buying power that big firms have always had with Lexus and Westlaw. So, I think that's very cool, and I just think that you have to be aware of that. It sounds crazy that as a individual person just starting a firm that you can have that power, but I think I think you definitely do, and the companies have been really responsive about that.
1: I feel like whether you're starting right now or you've had a practice for a long time and are ready to make maybe to modernize and make some changes, there is no better time to be a lawyer from a practice management and technology perspective. There are so many good options. They are all so affordable, even at the high end of a practice management program, which maybe let's say it's $120 a month per user, it's still so cheap compared to what it used to be. I mean, to to start a small firm 15 years ago was in the thousands of dollars just to get the power turned on. And today it's just so easy and affordable. And you're right, so many good choices. Um, I always like to remind people that today, unlike in the past, moving from one practice management program to another is actually pretty easy. They build on common platforms that make e- make it easy to export and import data. So I love your advice of really making those salespeople work for you. I mean, they're going to pester you to death with phone <laughs> calls and emails anyway. So you might as well just make them work for it, sit through a couple of demos, sign up for a couple of free trials, and really make sure... That what you choose to use is as close to perfect for you as possible so that you don't have to change your mind in two or three months. Now, Carolyn, you're a Mac. Yes. So you practice law with a Mac and successfully. Do you have, as far as your practice goes, an assistant, an associate? Tell us a little bit about how your solo practice is built today.
2: So I started such a long time ago that I actually predated <laughs> like Rocket Matter and Clio. So I was using tools like Basecamp or FreshBooks or um, tool, tools like that, which I really haven't changed from since my practice is somewhat bespoke, though I'm looking to find a new um the CRM system. But I've had a virtual assistant for 15 years. And um, I've never met her in person. We've only spoken on the ah. phone a handful of times. And back then it was so unusual. Her her name is Tina, and my daughter had an imaginary friend named Tina. So when I talked about Tina, my daughter <laughs> thought I was making fun of her. Or so, but um, so she has been working for me probably like 60 or 80 hours a month um, since for, for that time. And so she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, am not, I, yeah, not sure what'll happen if, uh, if she goes, but, um, <sighs> and, and there are many more options for virtual assistants now. I mean, there are, there are actually attorneys who have started virtual assistant companies who have trained assistants from other countries to, to do work. Um, so she, she's, uh, Tina is, is in the U S but she does sort of light, paralegal work for, you know, Mm. getting documents into final form. She makes travel plans for me. She takes, administers my blog. She can, she's, during the time she's worked for me, she's learned more about like WordPress and website development. So she can, you know, make changes to my, to my website, things like that. And then I've had over the years, I've had associates working with me. I usually have summer associates because I like working with law students. So I've usually had a team of them working with me, Um, sometimes remote, sometimes before the pandemic, I had a workspace in WeWork and I had office space for the students, but they just liked kind of working in the common area. I guess it was Mm -hmm. like being in the cafeteria or something. So, and I just work with them with um, files, like online files, and I use Box and um, we use other kinds of collaborative tools, so I can bring people on, you know, depending on what on on what my needs are. And usually, if I get busy, like if I have a big trial or a lot of depositions, I'll usually bring
1: in um, freelance attorneys to cover those those things. How do you find the law students for the summer and the freelance attorneys that help you when you need them? So the
2: law, I have been more challenged with
1: law students than I feel that Mm. I
2: should because I actually (laughs) pay them. I mean, I don't pay them big firm salaries, but I pay them a decent wage. Um, the, I draw on there's, uh, I'm near GW law school, which has an energy and environmental law program. So I usually try to go to those schools. I've had some friends who have, students working full time, they just go directly to the law school placement office, which usually works. And then freelance attorneys come from a variety of places. Sometimes I'll just ask colleagues because there may be, you know, for example, um, an energy law attorney who's on maternity leave or who has taken time off and wants to get back in. Mm. Um, I've used Law Clerk Legal and um, oh, Hire an Esquire. I've used those um, those platforms also for less specialized work, like usually for motions to compel or things like that, just because it's hard to find somebody on on those platforms with expertise. So sometimes you get, you get lucky. I, I don't mean ex- non-legal expertise, but it, it's more general sites. So they have people who are familiar with, you know, like family law or immigration or something, but not necessarily like a, a energy regulatory thing but but for something like you know motions to compel or um just kind of broad research they're they're very good and very fast where can people buy this book so the book is available on amazon or there's a page at my blog my shingle Um, we're undergoing a facelift now so it should look different uh next month and the book will be much easier to find at the site very cool.
1: And you also, do you still offer a course online too? Tell me about the courses you've developed in the past. So I have a free class on Udemy on starting a firm
2: that has had almost 10,000 people wow. uh, t- sign up for it over the years. Awesome. Um, so right now I've been developing um, a more modern version of of that with like little little demos and things on starting a, a practice, but I haven't fully put that together yet. But the one on Udemy is available. Yes, that's available and that's free. And then I have um, other PowerPoints at my site that right. that are free. And then I do have a program on um, uh, retainer agreements and other contracts that law firms um, use, which is kind of a short course and then um, a whole bunch of different forms and templates that you can just kind of plug and play in, re- in your practice.
1: We can find all of that on myshingle.com, yes, that's right. right. I hope everyone gets out there and gets this book. Um, It sounds great. Of course, I have a copy of it and I'm going to read through it just to refresh myself of good ideas that I can also pass on. Carolyn, I really appreciate your time today. Do you want to just remind everyone where they can find, friend, or follow you if they want to learn more about you or pick up on these great resources that you have? Sure. So the best
2: place to find me is myshingle.com and that will have links to my Twitter account, Facebook group, Instagram, TikTok. So, they're, the the Instagram and TikTok are are still relatively new, but um, you can spend a long time at my at my blog going through old content.
1: What happens in the Facebook group?
2: The Facebook group is, yeah, I guess we have. Um, I I sometimes um, pr- um, provide like just different resources on starting a firm or a couple of things that aren't available freely at the at the blog.
1: Awesome. Well, good. I hope you get some um, new members and followers from this. Thanks so much for your time, Carolyn. Totally appreciate it.
2: Yes. Thank you for uh, doing the show and for having me on.
1: Well, everyone, it's time to move on to whatever you're going to do next after listening to today's episode of New Solo. If you've got ideas for topics in the future, if you have any more questions on Microsoft or any other technology or practice management programs, remember or anything when it comes to law practice, remember, you can always reach out to me at newsoloatlegaltalknetwork.com. I'd love to hear from you as we continue to move forward with the show, new ideas and topics that you might have in mind, things I haven't covered that you want to hear about. And if you have some time, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. I know uh, Legal Talk Network and I would really appreciate that. Hope you all have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time on New Solo. I've
3: been running from nine to five Been biting my tongue for all this time Won't let anyone clock me short